Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung line drive left field. One run is in. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. All right, welcome back to our pre-Thanksgiving week episode of the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers in Tampa, Florida. Lots of stuff going on in the sports world these last seven, eight days. Coaching hires, coaching fires in college football, new college football rankings. We've got some NFL storylines starting to develop. Who's really good and who's not? Bucks, Rams are struggling. Both have lost two in a row. Who's really good in the AFC? That's the question. The NFC, who wants to be that one or two seed in the NFC? We've had Arizona struggle the last week with no Kyler Murray. We had the Rams struggling, the Bucks struggling. Green Bay is kind of just getting by. So Dallas rebounded after their, their lousy performance against Denver. So we've got lots of storylines that we're going we're gonna to get into. Uh, the Major League Baseball is giving out their awards this week. The Manager of the Year, Rookie of the Year have been, been announced. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, how many of you are in a survivor pool? I know a lot of you guys are get involved in these survivor pools. Well, I'm in a survivor pool that's down to 10 people. It started with 535 there's been carnage in these survivor pools the last couple of weeks. So with all these upsets that are going on around the NFL, I have two entries out of 10 left. And we tried to negotiate a settlement this week in the dumbasses in our, in our pool. Nobody wants to settle or not, a, not everybody wants to settle. Therefore we have to continue to play on. So there's basically $5,300 on the line in this survivor pool that I'm in and there's only 10 entries left and I have two out of the 10. So I was trying to cat get, I was trying to negotiate a settlement, but some dumbasses in this King of the Hill competition don't want to do that. So I'm a little chapped about that. So as we head into Thanksgiving week, so I got, I got to keep picking winners, which I can do, but uh, was looking at looking to cash a check a little bit to, little Christmas money. So Thanksgiving coming up next week. We will have an episode for you next week. Um, we'll have some interviews and stuff like that. Obviously, uh, you'll have some time next week, hopefully, with your family. Spend some quality time. Uh, enjoy a nice meal, some camaraderie, some family time. And obviously, you'll have some time to listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. So definitely check it out. Uh, we will have a uh, No Quarter Given podcast as well as the Bucks. We'll be playing the next week. They are playing, I believe, the Indianapolis Colts. So we'll do have a preview of that matchup as well for you next week. So we got two great guests for you tonight. This week, we've got Matt Zemek, the ed- editor of Trojan Wire. as part of the USAToday.com platform. He covers all things USC, Pac-12, college football. 
So we're going to have a very good chat with Matt about coaching hires, the playoff, uh, kind of where we see the playoff uh, rankings going, some of that kind of stuff. So some very interesting uh, discussion Matt and I have about, especially about the coaching hires that are potentially uh, could become a, a uh, some openings could become an open and some jobs that could be getting filled here in the next couple of weeks. Then we will have Drew Felios, my man Drew. Drew uh, does work for ESPN. He covers college football, does college basketball games. He is the voice of the Tampa Bay Rowdies of the USL Soccer League here in Tampa. They're in the, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals this week. And he's also the, one of the main voices of pickleball around the country. Pickleball is a booming sport around the country, getting more and more TV exposure and Drew's one of the faces of the broadcast for pickleball at various events around the country. So we're going to talk to Drew about lots of different topics. So enjoy the podcast. Remember, if you have any comments, reach out to us at Sports on Twitter, at Sports on Twitter. Again, tell your friends, share, share our podcast with your friends on all the different podcast platforms, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review, and enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And now a word from our podcast sponsor, Titan Home Lending. For all of your home financing needs anywhere in the state of Florida, whether it's a purchase or a refinance, reach out to Titan Home Lending 205-790-1404. Titan Home Lending is based in Tampa, Florida. We can help you with FHA, conventional, renovation loans, jumbo loans, and virtually anything in between. So reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. All right, welcome back. Another episode of the powers on sports podcast our pre thanksgiving week edition remember we will have a podcast for you next week during thanksgiving so after you've had all the turkey and the stuff in and the trip to fan have a little have a little listen to the powers on sports podcast because i will have an episode for you next week thanksgiving week but we're not quite there yet but we are going to talk some college football a lot of college football stuff in the news the coaching carousel is starting to heat up Coaches getting fired, getting resigning, scandal, and there's no better person to talk about all the college football doings than my man, Matt Zemek. Matt is the editor of Trojan Wire as part of the USA Today online platform, and he covers all things USC, but he is an expert on the in the whole gamut of the college football world, Pac-12 action and all that stuff. So welcome back to the podcast, Matt. Great to be back, Jason. And of course, you know, we, we've said this off the air. That whenever we do a show, there's a Pac-12 vacancy. It's like clockwork. It's been absolutely unreal. Well, let's get right to it. The last time we spoke, it was Nick Rolovich who was on the ropes, and he got let go at Washington State for not having the vaccine and all that good stuff. Now, the the brother at Washington State, Washington, let's go Jimmy Lake over the weekend. Give the audience a little background of kind of what led up to this and, uh, and the termination and dismissal of Jimmy Lake. Yeah, so, you know, given the win-loss record for Washington, I know I personally would have, on merit, fired Jimmy Lake if I was the Washington AD but on based on wins and losses. But heading into the Oregon game just over a week ago, 
uh, it seemed as though he was safe um, because you know he was early in his tenure, and so the AD Jennifer Cohen didn't want to admit defeat that she made a bad hire, purely on terms of uh, win loss grounds. But Jimmy Lake then made comments about Oregon's academic prowess. He said Oregon was not a foremost recruiting rival of the Huskies, which is absolutely absurd on its face. But you know the the fact that he'd say that in public, uh, really bizarre, and that got people chirping and people uh, talking, and uh, not in a good way, of course. And Oregon just kept its mouth shut during the week uh, before, leading up to that rivalry game. And then the Ducks, you know, they they weren't the Ducks didn't play great, but they you know comfortably beat Washington. And the game was punctuated by two things. One, Lake was down eight points with two minutes left, fourth and ten, and he punts. Wow. Uh, he decides to punt anyway. The ball, the punt snap went over the punter's head for a game-sealing safety. So he got what he deserved there. But what the, the real thing that led to Lake's dismissal was there was a scuffle at the very end of the game, and he struck a player, you know, not – it wasn't a, an extremely violent strike, but he did hit the player's face mask, the you know the player's uh, helmet, and then the player then turned his back after that initial strike, and Lake shoved him with two hands. Yeah, and so just the optics of it were bad. I mean, you know, people will say that you know, hey, coaches need to show tough love, and and it really wasn't that bad, and 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 you know, it wasn't. Uh, a bare hand or a bare fist touching flesh. Right. You know, it wasn't the most severe thing, but the fact that it was two actions, yep. not just one, hitting the helmet, then shoving him with with his back turned, you know, it just it did seem a little bit overdone for the moment. But you add that to the dumb statements, punning with two minutes left, fourth and ten, just an absolutely idiotic decision. Uh, you, you take everything together and the wins and losses and the fact that the offense was terrible, you know, so John Donovan, the offensive coordinator, yeah, he was Lakes higher, absolutely abysmal. Washington's offense barely did anything in that game against Oregon. So he was fired the next day and that uh, was done concurrently with a one week uh, suspension for Lake without pay. And that suspension was a stall tactic designed to buy time to either, come to investigate, to investigate, investigate, but also to come to terms in terms of either a buyout agreement, or there was the thought that Washington would consider firing Jimmy Lake with cause, right? It chose to just eat the salary, make the problem go away, pay the money as a sunken cost, not get into court. That was what Washington uh, chose to do. But anyway, it was a collection of things. It wasn't because the team was bad. It was because the team was bad and the dumb statements and the punt and shoving the player and the right. comments about uh, uh, about Oregon and you know hi- hiring a terrible offensive coordinator all and those things together they all just came crashing down on him what he did that week uh, during the Oregon game and leading up to it you know several things on and off the field it was it was a tsunami and that got Jimmy Lake in the end and to give a little context on who Jimmy Lake is a lot of people in the audience may not know who Jimmy Lake is he was the replacement for Chris Peterson. When Peterson retired, he was an inter- he was the defensive coordinator at the time. He was an internal guy. There was a lot of hope that he w- could be a good head coach. He had been at Wash. It was did he play at Washington? No. Okay. 
So, but he had been on the staff there for a little while. With Several Peterson. years, yeah. During the winning, the winning years of Peterson, when the yep. defense was pretty good, so they all thought it was going to be a good promotion, good hire. I did see a report that there was an allegation back in 2019 that came out that he maybe had another physical incident with a kid back in 2019. Was he when he was defensive coordinator? So I'm sure that was they used. I'm sure that week, that week suspension to investigate all that stuff. I'm sure they interviewed players former coaches, guys in the program to see if there had been any other things that maybe had been covered up or not talked about. So like you said, had Jimmy Lake been nine and two or eight and two, he might not have got fired. He, he might not have been it. He might Very have got yeah. a couple of weeks type deal, but the, but the recruiting had gone way down. The coaching had not been very good. I'm sure the alumni and the, and the attendance was not great at Washington this year. So like you said, a tsunami of events leads to the dismissal of Jimmy Lake. Um, where do you see them going? Do you, I mean, I, do you think they go for a big coach or do you think they go for an, a, a coordinator somewhere? Washington is a storied program. That's a big, that's a big, that's a sleeping giant out West. Do you think they go somewhere to a big, try to lure a big name? Yeah. So this is really interesting. So, you know, Jennifer Cohen, the AD, you know, so she hired Jimmy Lake and let's, let's be clear about Jimmy Lake and, and that hire at when Chris Peterson abruptly retired. Um, there was a pervasive sense that Jimmy Lake deserved the promotion. He earned it. And, you know, strictly based on his work as the defensive coordinator, being on that staff, you know, it, that was a fair thing. But what, what Jen Cohen did not do was, you know, either, either she didn't ask Jimmy Lake in the interviewing process, okay, who's, who's going to be your offensive coordinator? Right. She either didn't ask it, or if she heard John Donovan, she didn't care. <laughs> and I'm not sure which is worse. <laughs> so, you know, you know the, the fact that uh, Jimmy Lake hired John Donovan as his offensive coordinator, like that's shocking. Like no one was in the market for him. He did not have gleaming credentials. You know, he's the guy, he was at Penn State under James Franklin before Joe Moorhead came along. Joe Moorhead, the Oregon offensive coordinator, right, who right. Mario Cristobal hired. Uh, you know, so the world of difference between those two guys in terms of their track records, Oregon then beats Washington comfortably on the field. But this, so it goes back to the point of Jimmy Lake deserved the the promotion to permanent head coach. But if but if his offensive coordinator was John Donovan, like, whoa, that should have been a flashing red light. Jen Cohen either needed to make sure Jimmy Lake, uh, you know, did something different. Like, no, you can't hire that guy. Like, you, we, we expect the best here at Washington. Right. Uh, you, you, your philosophy, you need to change it if I'm going to give you the keys to the program. Right. Uh, she needed to step in there and vet that and, and shoot it down. She did not. And this gets into a, a, a problem with hiring various head coaches. You know, they'll, they'll accept your job offer if you give them full control. But if you give them full control and you don't make sure that they're hires of coordinators uh are are reasonably good well you're right. asking for trouble and you and and if 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 it's a non-negotiable thing for the coach like i need con full control um the athletic director needs to say no he hasn't he, earned he it move Jimmy on to the next not, candidate he has not earned that control is his first head coaching and, job that and that yeah it's his first head coaching job but this is like a broader thing like we can ap apply this to usc look at james franklin we we, we talked about him earlier you know, his non-Joe Moorhead offensive coordinators at Penn State, they have not worked out. Like, that is a big red light in terms of a, a concern about James Franklin. I mean, he's a good coach. He's done a lot of good work, excellent recruiter, 
He gets a lot of things right, but one thing he has not gotten right has been the offensive coordinator with the sole exception of Moorhead. He's ran through, he's run through three different offensive coordinators since Moorhead left right. Penn State. So if you're Mike Bone and you're the athletic director at USC, and I'm drawing a parallel here to Washington with Jennifer Cohen, uh, do you give James Franklin full control? Like, do you, do you allow James Franklin to bring in any old offensive coordinator, seeing how Keaton Slovis has not developed and the USC offense has come to a standstill in recent years under Clay Helton? If, if Franklin wants control over who he hires as offensive coordinator, and I'm Mike Bone, I say, you know what? I think Dave Aranda might be a better candidate for us, might be a better fit. Like Jeff Grimes, who um, right. you know, outworked Oklahoma, he outflanked them uh, this we're gonna, past we're weekend. Gonna get, we're going to get to Baylor and Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so the point is, is that if, if you, if a coach who doesn't have a good track record of hiring a coordinator or both coordinators, right, right. and if he, and if that coach wants control, you shouldn't hire him. I agree. You know, if, no, if that's agree. the sticking point. So, so to take it back to Washington, Jason, you know, if, uh, if any prospective hire uh, doesn't have a good uh, set of coordinators lined up, Jen Cohen needs to move along to the next person. So I don't know who Jen Cohen really likes. Now, the fear among Husky fans, and I talked to them, you know, I've lived in Seattle for a period of time. I now live in Phoenix, but spent 20 years in Seattle. So, you know, I, I have a general sense yeah, of what yeah. fans want there. They're afraid that Jen Cohen's going to go for Justin Wilcox. And, you know, it makes sense in terms of just the politics, because for one thing, Cal, where Justin Wilcox coaches, has had the COVID-19 protocols, the, the problems. Yep, so yep. Wilcox could say, I'm out of here. I'm fed up, yep. tired of dealing with this. I want a new uh, job. I want to go somewhere else. So he, could, he would jump at the chance yes. to go to Washington if he's offered it. And then Jen Cohen might give it, give it to him because Wilcox is a P Chris Peterson disciple. And she's going to make that mistake that USC has made. USC made the mistake of hiring Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian just because they were part of the Pete Carroll coaching tree. So Jen Cohen could hire Justin Wilcox because he's part of the Chris Peterson How coaching much? tree. So that's the fear. That's the fear in Seattle. And then in terms of the guy Husky fans like and would want to see, Billy Napier. Now, okay. many people think that he wants the LSU job. He ain't getting the LSU job, my brother. I don't think so. But, but anyway, the thought process is he, that Napier is waiting for it and that he wouldn't go to a Pac-12 school. He's just going to – he'd just stay with uh, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, bide his time. You know, if he has to wait five years for the LSU mm -hmm. job, so be it. That's a thought process. So it's – people are uncertain if he would go to Washington – Arizona State, uh, another open Pac-12 job as kind of a stepping stone up from Louisiana. But Washington fans really like him. They like his advanced approach to offense. They think he would be the breath of fresh air, the Husky program, and specifically the Husky offense needs. You mentioned that Washington's recruiting has been bad. It's been especially bad at wide receiver and the skill positions. Right. Napier could really fix that in particular. One, one, one last question on Washington. We'll get at We'll move on. How much influence does Chris Peterson have in these decisions? And two, is there any thought of Chris Peterson ever coming back to coaching? Not necessarily at Washington, but do you think Chris Peterson's done coaching? I think Chris Peterson's done coaching. He's a consultant uh, to this process. Now, I think it's just an advisory role. Like, right. he doesn't need the power. You know, he, he doesn't have to put his stamp on the program, prove right. something for his legacy. He's just a consultant. Like, he's not... 
he's not intervening. He, he's being asked to help with the process. That, that's his role. And I think he's definitely done coaching. And, you know, he's a different kind of cat, always has been. Um, you know, he didn't want the USC job several years ago. He didn't want the Texas job. He, does, he didn't want the maximum pressure, maximum scrutiny. Washington was a job with, you know, tradition, some expectations, but not the withering scrutiny that you get when you're the coach at USC or Texas. So if he was not willing to have the right. pressure of a real Cadillac job, you know, th that's the kind of guy who strikes me as, you know, being inclined to retire, enjoy life, enjoy family, do something else. He seems to be having fun on television yeah. Uh, with Fox Sports, I, I I definitely think he's done. Same for Bob Stoops as well. Yeah, he, that's another name to say again. That's that's another that's the other name, and we'll talk about that here in a second. All right, Justin Fuentes out at Virginia Tech. Butch Davis resigning, kind of getting fired at Florida International. And I know that's not a big job, but the name is a big name. And Butch threw some major arrows at the university, talking about how the administration is sabotaging the program. They had to borrow. They had to get free pads from one of the from an SEC school. They haven't had new uniforms in like seven, eight, nine years. So he is torching the FIU administration on his way out the door. Uh, just your thoughts on Fuentes at Virginia Tech, and then Butch Davis kind of bur burning down South Florida as he's going out the door. Yeah, well, uh, what Pete? What Pete Garcia, FIU's uh, athletic director, he resigned, did he not, or something? Something did he? happened. Okay. Did he? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, or something, but something happened. I want, I don't want to, I, I saw some kind of headline that wasn't good. Okay. Uh, so I think there's certainly something to what Butch Davis uh, was saying and, you know, covering the PAC 12, as I do, you know, Mario Cristobal, who's, you know, doing really yeah. well at Oregon. Yeah. You know, it was so weird how he didn't get a head coaching job for a long time after his time at Florida international. And like, it's one of the great mysteries of the coaching industry in the 21st century, how crystal ball went under the radar for a long time. Um, people knew that he was a talented coach, a talented recruiter, and he did, he didn't get a head coaching job for the longest time. And then Oregon snapped him up and, and look at the ducks. Now they're in the, they're in the playoff hunt. So I think there's certainly a lot of, to what just uh, to what uh, uh, Butch Davis is saying about FIU yeah. as for Justin Fuente. So here's the, here's the thing. Um, USC is looking for not just for a head coach going to look going to need an offensive coordinator and you know we have to keep in mind that you know failed head coaches are not necessarily failed coordinators mm -hmm. and Justin Fuente you know Gary Patterson retired earlier this year or you know he was he, he, he was pushed out at TCU um, you know so Justin Fuente helped Gary Patterson achieve great heights at TCU he turned Andy Dalton into a pro won a Rose Bowl, had an unbeaten regular season. Right, right. So, you know, Justin Fuente as an offensive coordinator, he's going to be a hot name on the yes. offensive coordinator market. Absolutely. LSU, USC, if Florida fires Dan Mullen, he's going to be a prime candidate for the offensive coordinator in Gainesville. Sure. Under whoever, uh, whichever head coach takes that job. Uh, in terms of the Virginia Tech opening, you know, that's a, that's a very intriguing one. I actually, I think that if Florida does fire Dan Mullen, and Damon still wants to be a head coach as opposed to an offensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. Virginia, Virginia Tech's a good spot for him. That's a good landing spot. You look at, you know, Justin Fuente, what was he supposed to do at Virginia Tech? He was supposed to develop quarterbacks, and he didn't. Right. Yeah. Now, Dan Mullen, you can, you can launch a million different criticisms of him. He has a lot of flaws. 
Yeah. A lot of flaws that have all been exposed in his tenure as a head coach. But one thing he's good at developing quarterbacks. Uh, he, is. So he, he meets the need that Virginia Tech has had for the past several years. You give Dan Moen a good defensive coordinator, you know, not no Todd Grantham anymore. <laughs> yeah. Give him somebody with a pulse. You know, a, a, a solid, decent defensive coordinator. Yeah, I think that's a really good fit for Virginia Tech. So that's oh, yeah, one I mean, name. There are other interesting names that I think Virginia Tech should consider. Uh, Jim Leonard. You know, he. This, I'm yes. waiting for this guy to get a job. He, Wisconsin has allowed 12 touchdowns in yes. 10 games this year. Jim Leonard is a yes. wizard as a defensive coordinator. Absolutely. I'm wondering where his next job's going to be. That that would be a great job for a, a great find for Virginia Tech. I'm very interested to see if Jim Leonard finally gets away from Wisconsin. You'd think he's due for a big break in the industry, getting a head coaching job at the power five level. Uh, that that's an intriguing option. We'll see if Whit Babcock, the Virginia tech athletic director uh, is able to make a run at him and thinks of him as a top tier candidate. That would be really good for the Hokies as well. So they have an offensive option in Mullen. Yeah, defensive option in Leonard. Let's see if they go after him. Well, just to let the audience know, Dan Mullen's not been fired yet. There's a lot of speculation yeah. Yeah. down here yes. in the Sunshine yes. State about him. Manny Diaz is probably is, is on the hot seat as well, and I'm probably we, gone. We should say Diaz is probably gone because the AD Wade just James, got fired. AD he got fired, and he was keeping Manny Diaz in there. So and that was not, not a guarantee, not a done deal, but very likely that Diaz yes. is gone because of that development. Or that, and that just happened. Yet we're taping this Tuesday night. That just happened late Monday night, early Tuesday morning. That the AD at Miami, yep. Blake James, has been removed. They yep. they said it, they're going in a different direction with the athletic program. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and yeah. so if I'm Manny Diaz, I'm on the computer tonight updating the resume. That's with right. Assistance. Yep, that's right. If I'm Manny Diaz, I'm thinking, hmm, where can I be a defensive coordinator right. next year? And it's and it's funny how, and you know, you know this as well as anybody, how some guys are great coordinators, but when they get in that head coaching seat, they're just not the same guy because of all the different responsibilities that go part of being a head coach. Whereas so many of these guys are so locked into being offensive or defensive guys that they don't really think about the media, the recruiting part of things, and all the little things that go into building a great program. Absolutely. And you know, it's no great failure. If you are one of those many dozens of people like this stuff's hard, it's hard to win games consistently as a head coach and to put together a full operation, you know, and that, and that's the thing that you are, you're not in charge of an offense. You're in charge of a team. You're not in charge of play calling. You're in charge of a team. Now, like some coaches do the play calling, you know, Steve Spurrier would call the plays at Florida but, you know, he had a vision, he had a presence, and he, and he hired quality defensive coordinators such as Bob Stoops, that's right. you know? And, and, and that's really the thing, hiring the people around you. That's, that's the key, right? You know, Dabo Swinney, we all thought back in 2010 that he was absolutely in over his head yes. out of his league at Clemson. Like they didn't have the slightest idea what to do. Yep. Then he hires Chad Morris and Brent Venables and the Clemson program takes off. And, and that's, that's the thing. You have to just, if you nail the hires and you surround yourself with quality people, you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Right. You know, this, what's, what's so perplexing about LSU for a moment to address that, you know, Ed Orgeron, he, he hired Joe Brady. Like he had the wisdom to say, hey, I have, the, I have Joe Burrow. I have Joe freaking Burrow 
as my quarterback. I need to give him the best passing game teacher I could possibly imagine. So he hires Joe Brady and boom, 15 and 0, one of the best seasons of all time by a player and by a team. So Orgeron understood that. And then he Brady leaves. Unlucky. And he, he doesn't, got, he, he doesn't have any idea un- what to do. Orgeron was unlucky because I don't think a lot of people thought Brady was going to get an offensive coordinator job in the NFL. So I think he was a little bit unlucky because I most people thought he would stay at LSU two or three years and then maybe get a head coaching job in college somewhere. That is absolutely true. And yet, you know that turnover is part of the yep. business. You have yep. to know the next the next man up, the next guy ready to fill his shoes. Yep. And Orgeron was not ready. He You're was right. not prepared. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it really – why do why do great coordinators fail as as head coaches? It's generally because they don't hire the right people, no, and right. Uh, you 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 have to know who the right people are in this business. And there, there's lots of names to choose from. You have to get them right. You know, just as an athletic director has to know, when, you know, when an athletic director hires the head coach, the athletic right. director needs to grill. Yeah, you know, and we were talking about this earlier, right? Jen Cohen grilling, not grilling Jimmy Lake about his choice of offensive coordinator. Like that's a mistake by the AD not nailing down the, the kinds of people uh, the head coach was likely to hire. If the head coach doesn't come up with good names, you as an AD need to know, hey, that's not a good name. That's not good enough. I'm not going to hire you as a head right. coach. I'm going to hire a head coach who knows which people to hire. You have to know that as an AD. And, uh, you know, so it, it just goes up the chain at each level. The AD hiring the head coach, the head coach hiring the coordinators. Correct. You have to know which people to hire. All right, let's go to your let's go to your neighborhood, USC. It sounds like from what you're what you kind of le- you know you prefaced a little while ago that James Franklin is high, high, high on the list out there. Um, you know, there's talk of Franklin, there's talk of Luke Fickle. You know, give us the give us the kind of the land the landscape of what the USC search looks like mid mid November. This job has been open for what about two months now? Yep. They got they, is this they got UCLA coming up this weekend. Give the audience a little, a little landscape of the USC coaching search. Yeah, so every Tuesday at Trojans Wire, I write a USC head coach candidate power rankings article. And these power rankings are not based on a prediction of who's going to become USC's head coach. The metric used is who gets the first call. That's the basis for these rankings. Okay. So Luke Fickle is number one in my rankings, and he has been the past few weeks – uh, because I think he's the most likely to get the first call from athletic director Mike Bone. That does not mean he's going to accept. It doesn't mean he's likely to accept. Right. I mean, the industry chatter, if you just talk to various people in the college football industry, they will say Luke Fickle is going to stay at Cincinnati. He's going to stay in the Midwest. His family loves living in Ohio. He's not going to uproot his situation and go to Los Angeles. Also won't go to LSU. Won't go to Florida if wow. if Dan Mullen is fired. He likes Cincinnati. And the fact that Cincinnati is going to the Big 12 pretty soon, that was a, an important chess move uh, to keep Luke Fickle uh, happy and satisfied with Cincinnati. So the people think that Fickle will stay in Cincinnati, but he will get the first call because he has a professional relationship with Mike Bone. They worked together at the University of Cincinnati before Bone left. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, so Bone will make the offer. Fickle will get the, the first chance Say to no. accept or reject it. So yep. that's the basis that I'm using for, you know, saying that Fickle's at the top of the USC board. 
um, you know, I've been looking for events which would tell me otherwise. I've been looking for clues or signs that, oh, maybe Mike Bone has a different number one candidate. Haven't seen enough to tell me that that's going to be different. I still think it's fickle at this point. Yeah. But I, the, the, the fresh drama in this coaching search is that, you know, if fickle turns it down, which he probably will, then it goes to who's number two. And that's the real mystery. Because for most of the year, it's been James Franklin, but he continues to lose games. Yes. His stock is undeniably falling. And while his stock is falling, now you have Dave Aranda very clearly rising. Just smoked Oklahoma, just outcoached Lincoln Riley. You know, that's going to get everyone's attention. And now, but now here's the plot point uh, and, and plot complication for USC. You have the LSU job open. And Aranda was a national championship right. defensive coordinator there. Not very long ago, two years ago. Two years. So if, if if LSU and USC are both there and available for Dave Aranda, where is he likely to land? He's much more likely to land at LSU I agree. than USC. So it could be that even if Mike Bone makes the second call to Dave right. Aranda after right. making the first call to Luke Fickle, he's probably still going to be 0 for 2. Because Fickle is going to stay, Aranda is going to go to LSU. If offered, we don't know, but if offered, he would take LSU before USC. And then James Franklin could still be the guy as a third choice. Man. And, and then we have to look at the Florida job. You know, if Dan Mullen is fired, right. then James Franklin could go to Gainesville. That's another SEC option for him with Aranda going to LSU. And so if, you, if USC is then 0 for 3, then you're thinking about Matt Campbell of Iowa State. I know he's yeah. lost, but you know he's he's at good Iowa coach, State. Man, that guy's a good he's coach. At, he's at Iowa State. He doesn't have the recruits of the other big programs. Yeah. So you, we, we shouldn't overreact to one difficult season he's had. Matt Campbell would be an interesting choice. You know, if the top three say no, Dave Clawson of Wake Forest is a lot like Matt Campbell in that he does more with less. Right. You know, and then you put him in a USC situation with the blue chip talent. And he might be able to, you know, work wonders. And then it really, and if and if Clawson wants to stay in Winston Salem, and Matt Campbell wants to stay in the Midwest, and you're USC, and you're just going down the list. Matt Campbell, what, what's Matt, next? Cam it, Matt Campbell will be on the first flight to LA if they call, if, if if Mike Bone offers him the job. Matt Campbell ain't staying in Iowa. In, in uh, I don't think he's going to be on that first plane if he gets offered that job. Maybe, but let let's now consider this: if James Franklin. Let's say James Franklin takes the Florida job the first weekend of December. Does Matt Campbell then go to Penn State? Yeah, that's you know, that's, and yeah, that, yeah. that that's where we're going to get dominoes. into the timing. The dominoes. That's when the timing of these moves yeah. becomes really important. Which which jigsaw puzzle uh, comes open? And he, you know, and, and and the timing is then going to be uh, the deciding factor. But now, right. you know, let's say, let's, let's plant, let's plot this out all the way, Jason, because, you know, your show, <laughs> Powers on Sports, we deserve the full Monty, you know, yeah, let's, let's get, let's do it the whole way. Not, not half-baked, not 75%. Right, real quick, before you yeah. start, before you start, okay. I'm going to throw this caveat in that's going to play the dominoes here. USC runs the, uh, you, Cincinnati runs the table and gets left out of the playoff. Does that change Luke Fickle's mind? It, it's the kind of scenario which might, like if you were to pick one scenario which might make Luke Fickle say deuces, get, deuces. totally, totally changes thinking, that would be it, right? That would be it. Um, so it would, it would, you know, it would be interesting. I would still bet against it, 
Okay. Because Cincinnati's going to the Big 12 and you would no longer have that group of five stigma. So like so, that problem would be solved in the relatively near future, but it could change his mind. It could change his mind. So I want to just go, you know, if USC whiffs on all five or six of its top candidates, then, you know, the thing that that's worth exploring is Lane, all right. Lane Kiffin. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, Lane, you know what, just in ter terms of Lane Kiffin, if man, if Manny Diaz gets fired at Miami, that's where Lane Kiffin goes. He loves living there. Wow. Remember he coached at Florida Atlantic. Yeah. And his dad. Yeah. Also in South Florida. That's that's I, if the Manny job comes open, that's where Lane Kiffin goes. Wow. Um, and then maybe Dan Moen rebounds and goes to Ole Miss. After all, he coached <laughs> in the Magnolia State before right. with Mississippi State. But anyway, back to USC. So let's say it all goes to pot and, and USC whiffs on the first several candidates. What the Trojans then need to think about is, you know, all right, we looked for the big time head coach. We missed. Uh, we can't settle for somebody. All right. We can't like, we can't hire, I don't know, Justin Wilcox or right. some other mediocre coach. No, you can't do that. What USC needs to consider. And this is something I always bring up during carousel season, Jason. And that is that if you, if you don't have the big shot CEO head coach, what you do is you hire two strong coordinators. You know, you hire two guys who are experts on each side of the ball and you and you work out an arrangement. You bring both of them in. You say, you're going to run the offense. You're going to run the defense. All right. One of you decides to become head coach, do the front facing duties. You'll get a, a small pay bump. But instead of paying one person a massive salary like Nick Saban money, we're going to split that coaching, that salary pool between you and you both hire the guys you like on your side of the ball. So let's no. say, for, let's say for instance, that, you know, Justin Fuente hasn't found a head coaching job. You hire him as like a strong empowered offensive coordinator. And then you find maybe Jim Leonard as a strong empowered defensive guy. Maybe you give Jim Leonard the head coaching title because he, you know, he wants that he craves that. And, you, you then also, the other thing USC would do in this, this is a crisis plan. You know, this is, this sure. is not the ideal plan. Sure, it's not sure. a top three plan. This is if everything else goes off, goes horribly wrong. But the one thing USC would need to do was, would be to keep Dante Williams on staff, not as a coordinator, but as a recruiter. That's what he was under Clay Helton. Yep. Dante Williams was the one guy on Clay Helton's staff who was locking up in-state talent in California, right. keeping right. them in. Corey Foreman the other really prominent defensive players, you need to keep Dante Williams on staff if you do this crisis plan, and then you try to find his equivalent on offense to keep the top quarterbacks and running backs and wide receivers in the state of California. So if everything goes awful, USC needs to think very creatively instead of being locked into this idea of we have to hire a CEO head coach. If you're hiring a mediocre CEO, that's that's going to be much worse than hiring basically two strong coordinators empowered to deal with their own side of the ball. And here's the other here's the other thought that USC with the glamour of LA and all that stuff that they probably can draw from if they get to the third or fourth candidate because I don't think James Franklin's a good good candidate for USC. 2 and 10 against the as a coach against the top 10 while at Penn State, terrible record beating good teams. You know, they've not done well this year. They had a poor year last year. I don't think I don't think he'd be a good hire for LSU, or not for me for USC. Excuse me. 
a guy like an, an NFL assistant, Eric Bieniemy, a guy like that, that's an offensive guy who could have some glamour in LA. Is, is there any names that you're thinking of there that from the NFL? Cause they could cut a deal with the NFL guy now and just not announce it, knowing that the guy's going to leave as soon as the regular season's over in early January. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one, the one main sticking point with that is that, you know, the early signing period in early December, right? Like that coach, especially right. if you're talking about Biennemi, who's probably going to be in the playoffs again, you know, he's just going to be so behind in terms of that first recruiting cycle. But now sure. the counterpoint though, is if like, you think if you he's think, good enough. Yeah. The counterpoint is this is a huge hire. If you think Eric Biennemi is up to the task, then you wait that month. And like right. then, then waiting that month is worth it. But it would be a gamble, right? Because he hasn't been a head coach, right. uh, either college or the pros. Uh, now, one plus, he used to be at you know at Colorado. Not, I mean, he was a player there, of course, but he was also an assistant coach there. And Mike Bone used to be the athletic director at Colorado. So that that that's a reason why there could be a potential fit. Uh, but but that would certainly be a gamble uh, in, in all of this. So, you know, uh, I, it'll be interesting to see in the next few weeks. Like, I think the Florida job's really a, a, a pivot point here. I agree. Because if it opens up a second S, big SEC job, that really changes the marketplace in terms of the top yeah. several candidates that are being considered. You're right. And, and really, the, the, it's this tension between James Franklin and Dave Aranda, uh, what they're going to do, where they want to go. If you have a second big SEC job, that's more for USC to compete against. But if the Florida job stays closed and Dan Mullen hangs on for 2022, yeah. then, then USC really has an opening to get one of Franklin or Aranda as its head coach. Same with LSU because LSU is going to be the yep. other big domino in this whole thing. All right. Before we get to the playoff, I want to get your quick thought. What is Dave Aranda doing kicking a field goal with 10 seconds left in the game against Oklahoma? Did you did you uh, did you find out? I mean, do you know the answer to this? No, I'm you asking. Answer. I mean, there's like a don't, don't say the third tiebreaker. I don't want to hear that. That's what it is. I please, mean, please. You know, they're they're strange. Yeah, hey, you remember the 2008 Big Big 12 South, right? And that three way tie, and it went and it went to like a third or fourth. Well, then my question is, stranger my, things have happened. Then my stranger question is, why aren't you throwing the ball? Then throw the ball, try to score a touchdown, then. But the but the the field goal was a more immediate way to score, right? Come on, you're, you're more. You're, it's a better better bet to score points. So nah, I mean, now you can now. say he's come full. On. You can come say on, he's man. full of crap. You can say he's full of crap. But oh, he is. It, it, I've heard I've heard worse explanations. Let's I mean, because like he's at least he's at least engaging in some kind of you know gameplay, right? That's that is, not the worst explanation you've ever heard. You got to give me that. That's totally, and we're trying to rub it into Oklahoma and <laughs> stick it up their butt because they beat us forever, which I can appreciate that, but don't say it's because it's a third tiebreaker. Just come out and say they've beaten our ass for about 10 straight <laughs> years. We want to we want to stick it to Oklahoma one time. Just say that. Uh, hey, I, would, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> not at all. All right, college football playoff. Rankings released tonight, Georgia one, Bama two, Oregon still three, Ohio State four, Cincinnati five, Michigan six, Michigan State seven. Obviously, you're going to have the Big Ten play itself out with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State all playing each other in these next couple of weeks. Oregon, 
huge game. They stay at number three. They've kind of they haven't been playing great, but they've been winning. Do you think Oregon's going to stay in front of Ohio State as long as they keep winning? Uh, no. I, I think if you if you ask me just about Oregon and Ohio State, no. And that really gets to the, the heart of this discussion, right? Because, um, you know, it's it, this is usually a helmet thing, you know, that the prestige of the school, the stature relative to television ratings for ESPN, like that's been consistently the most important thing. That if it's Ohio State versus Penn State, Ohio State's the bigger brand, you know? So Ohio State got in over Penn State in 2016, uh, even though Penn State yeah. won the Big Ten title. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you people will say, well, Penn State had two losses, Ohio State won. Yeah, but Penn State won the Big Ten and they beat Ohio State head to head. So I think Ohio State's prestige certainly carried there. Then in 2017, Ohio State was a very prestigious name, but Alabama's more prestigious. And that's why Alabama got in over Ohio State, even though Alabama did not even win its own division that year. And so we go now we go to 2021. So if we compare Oregon and Ohio State, in a battle of prestige, TV ratings, what sells, what's sexy, Ohio State will be hired. The fact that Ohio State's playing Michigan State in Michigan, that's just an easy reason for the committee to bump the Buckeyes above the Ducks. But, you know, Oregon, Oregon won't care if it's passed by Ohio State as long as it gets in ahead of Cincinnati. And once again, helmet test. Oregon is, is not, you know, the, the biggest draw for ESPN, but more prestige than Cincinnati because it's that group of five versus power five divide, even though Oregon has a loss. And even though that loss is a bad one to Stanford, yep. I do think that uh, one loss Oregon gets in over unbeaten Cincinnati. I agree. Because the, the, the group of five bias being held over and against Cincinnati by the committee and by ESPN. Uh, there's a, a def I think there's a definite business perception that it's going to be bad for TV if Cincinnati is in there. So if Cincinnati wants in, it will need Oregon or Ohio State. Uh, you know, Ohio State or the Ohio State Michigan State winner. Yeah, it will need or, or Cincinnati will need that team to then lose its next game in, on November twenty seventh, and, and that or an Oregon loss to get into they, the top four. And they really need Georgia to beat Alabama convincingly in the SEC yes, title. Absolutely, game. yes. That's absolutely. the other caveat that that goes without saying. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's. I mean. I think I think I think you keep Oregon in front of Ohio State only because to me that's the best non-conference road win of the year in college football. Oh, let's be clear here. Oregon should stay ahead of Ohio State. Period. Yes. Oregon won head to head on the road without Kayvon Thibodeau. Yes. Oregon should be in, in front of Ohio State. Period. End of sentence. But in terms of gauging the politics, yep. you know, not what should be, but what will be. Ohio State will be be ranked higher than Oregon if Ohio State wins out. And here's one thing. Here's one thing I think will happen too, because from a from a matchup perspective, I think the committee will say, "I want the best defense in the country against the best offense in the country in the semifinal game, which is Ohio State Georgia." So I think if these four hold true, I think you're going to see Ohio State four because I think they're going to TV is going to say, "I want the I want Kirby Smart's defense." Ryan Day's offense. Let's get it on. That that now that is very very possible. You could you could definitely see that for for television purposes. I I frankly had not considered that. So that that's definitely something the committee would do because yeah. like they do they do engineer the matchups for TV. You're 100 percent right on that point.
All right, let's let's get the last three three things. Let's, the three big matchups this week, and just get your quick thoughts. That's staying in your Pac-12. You got USC UCLA. Not a huge matchup, but Chip Kelly is Chip. What what is the sentiment of, of that rivalry in LA? Obviously, both teams are down, but you know, is UCLA satisfied with Chip Kelly? I know he's not in any trouble, but you know, they had great expectations after about three weeks this year. You know, if, if, you know, keep in mind that you this is a terrible USC team doesn't have Drake London, obviously it's best player. You know, uh, he, he was, he was on his way to being a Heisman trophy finalist. Yes. You know, in a year when we don't have a lot of sexy yep. uh, skill position players rising to the top, he was going to be a Heisman finalist before his unfortunate injury. He was going to be the Boletnikoff award winner. Yes. So USC doesn't have its best player. If UCLA loses to USC, Chip Kelly's very much in danger. Really, okay. I, I wouldn't say guaranteed to be gone, but very much in danger. Like he, he needs to win that game. I could even argue he needs to win that game convincingly. Uh, to you know, and let's remember that USC's athletic director Martin Jarmond is still pretty new to the job, and Chip Kelly was not his guy. He's inheriting Chip Kelly. So if if UCLA loses to USC, uh, Chip Kelly is at the very least in trouble. Not necessarily likely to go, but very much in trouble. Um, I, I think Chip Kelly needs to beat USC if he wants to feel comfortable uh, about his job status. And then in terms of the game, well, I just said it, you know, Drake London not yeah. being there for USC. This is going to be Jackson Dart's first start as USC quarterback. You know, so he, relieved, okay. he, he relieved Keaton Slovis in the Washington State game after Slovis got injured. Right, he, right, right, right. he platooned with Slovis against Arizona and Arizona State. This would be his first start. And what a time to get that for start against UCLA. But, yep. you know, he struggled against Arizona State without Drake London. So yep. one would one would have to assume that, you know, Dart, who was really good when Drake London was was in yep. the lineup, yep. it's just not going to be the same with, with Drake London out of the lineup. Now, USC, UCLA, excuse me, has a, an atrocious defense. So I still think USC is going to score some. Yeah. But USC's defense is also really bad. UCLA should win kind of like a – I'd say a 45, 34 type game, something in that range. Another USC note, as we're taping tonight, Andy Enfield, the coach of USC, is down at Florida Gulf Coast playing where he used to coach. And my buddy Tom James is the announcer for Florida Gulf Coast. So interesting basketball matchup. Andy Enfield going home to South Florida tonight. And he was a winner. And, well, okay. uh, USC and USC looks pretty good that the, the final was 78-61. And uh, USC has a, you know, last year, Enfield loaded up on transfers. One of Young the many City. transfers, one of the many transfers was from Wofford, Chavez Goodwin. And he scored 20 points tonight. He's been USC's second best scorer, uh, but he's been a better scorer for them in the first three games of the season than Isaiah Mobley. So Andy Enfield right. with a victorious return to Dunk City, that had to be a, very special moment for him. And, you know, he came back, of course, in a triumphant way. Like, here, hey, I just made the Elite Eight. My That's coaching right. career is on the rise. All the skeptics I had at USC when I left uh, Fort Myers, you know, I've proved them wrong. So it's good to be Andy Enfield right now. Absolutely. Two games of the week. Oregon in Salt Lake City to visit Utah. Utah's kind of been up and down, but they're always giant killers in Salt Lake City. Can Oregon go into Salt Lake knowing they're probably going to have to beat them twice here in the next three or four weeks? Can Oregon go to Salt Lake City and get it done? Yeah, the big question in this game, when you watch it on primetime. Uh, Saturday night, yeah, I think it's uh, ABC. ESPN. Yeah. 
Yep, I think it's Fowler and Herb Street. Yep, when you watch this game in prime time, the big key is going to be Utah is going to make Anthony Brown, the Oregon quarterback, throw the ball and throw the ball deep. Like that's going to be Utah's defensive approach. You have to beat us over the top. You're right. What what you know the the brilliance of Oregon's game against Ohio State in week two was that Anthony Brown didn't have to throw any downfield passes. Right. He just had to throw short screen passes, dump offs, check downs, working the flats. He never had to throw a ball over like 20 yards. Yeah. Never had to take a risk. Oregon was just able to work the short passing game, mix it in with the running game, and it was able to score 35 points. Like that. So that's what Oregon wants to do every single game. Power football. Mario Cristobal has instilled a physicality to Oregon that they've never had. Absolutely. And Oregon wants to play this game in like a 15 to 20 yard box and just move the ball in short chunks yep. down the field, control use the, the clock, clock use the and, clock. and just lean on an opposing defensive front. So Utah is going to try to take that away. Yep. Utah is going to load up the box and say, you have to, you have to hit a home run ball or three uh, if you're going to beat us. So that's going to be the central key. We'll see what happens. And I think this is a 50-50 game because yeah. Oregon you know, usually finds a way to win, but but Utah at night, Rice at Stadium in Salt yep. Lake City, yep. it's one of the tougher places to play in the Pac-10, in the Pac-12. So, you know, that, that it, it's really a 50-50 game. And, and uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm expecting a thriller. I think yeah. that this is Hope. not going to be a game that unravels, gets away from one side. I think it's going to be tense all it, the way. And that's how Oregon – Utah games, when they're played in Salt Lake City, that's how they usually are. It's going to be interesting. And it's great for the Big 12 to get the national spotlight this late in the season of a team that's still in the mix because for so many years they've been out of the mix already for the playoffs. So it's great that Oregon is kind of the champion of the Pac-12 right now and they're getting that primetime showdown in Salt Lake City. Absolutely. It's been five years since the Pac-12 last made the playoffs. So here's your chance. Here, here's the opportunity. So and the, and the other it's one is time. The other one to start the day on Saturday. Michigan State heads to Columbus. Does Michigan? Does Mel Tucker and company have a shot? They're like 20-point underdogs. Ohio State was tremendous last week offensively. That game was over in the first quarter against Purdue. Your thoughts, Michigan State, Ohio State? Well, if you remember a few weeks back, uh, Ohio State was an 18-point favorite against Penn State, and that was a very tough game. That, yep. was, that was tough the whole way. Uh, Ohio State didn't seal it until like there were like two minutes left with a field goal to go up nine. So I'm expecting another close game. And, and let's remember, Michigan State has pulled off a big point spread upset in this game when Ohio State was closing in on the playoff, 2015. That was the game when Zeke Elliott didn't get the rock and he, he, he threw a fit during the yeah. game. I can't say I blamed him either because right. he should have been getting a lot more touches. But, you know, that was when Mark D'Antonio knocked off Urban Meyer, got to the Big Ten championship game uh, and, and, and played Iowa uh, and, and got to the college football playoff by beating the Hawkeyes on a late touchdown. Well, Michigan State, you know, is certainly capable of doing that same thing again because you know, you know Ohio State was great last week but it was Purdue and and no offense to Purdue but you know Purdue functions well as a giant killer you know the spoiler makers as yeah. people have called yeah. them but yeah. but yeah. when Purdue's you know playing in a high stakes game with the division title in the balance that's a different dynamic for Purdue the boilermakers were not ready for that and so you know let's see Ohio State deliver the goods against the the, the cream of the crop in the Big 10 that's Michigan State that's Michigan, Michigan. Uh, it's also going to be Wisconsin. 
in the in the in the uh, Big Ten championship game if they meet. So you know that is that we're waiting to see what Ohio State does against the very best of the Big Ten. So I don't I think Ohio State's still getting a little bit too much respect as we head into this game against Michigan State. It's going to be close. I think Ohio State wins because it does have better talent than Michigan State. Michigan State's also been hit by some injuries on its offensive line, but I do think it's going to be close, probably like a seven-point game. All right, I'm going to get you out of here right now. Matt Zemi doing an unbelievable job. Who gets the USC job? I, I'm not going to tell you that I know. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to give you false promises. All right. It really depends on the marketplace and, and okay. how and, and whether the Florida job comes open. Like, that's going to be a key hinge point in all of it. All right, Matt, tell the audience where they can find all your great work, man. Yeah, so find us on Trojans Wire at part of the USA Today uh, College Wire Network, trojanswire.usatoday.com. You can find me on Twitter, Matt Zemek. My DMs are open. If you want to hit me up, have a conversation, uh, you know, all, always up for it. So, Jason, thanks for, again, inviting me on Powers on Sports. Always have a great time. Here. Yeah, you're awesome, man. You're awesome with the knowledge and the, and the up-to-date information. Check him out on, on, on Twitter. He does he, he tweets about all things in the world, man, not just sports. All things, uh, all things in the world. He, he's a great dude. Continued good luck, continued success, and we'll talk to you real soon, Matt. Have a Thanks. good Thanksgiving. Always great to be on your show. Thank all you. Right, what's your what's your what's your favorite Thanksgiving meat food? Uh cornbread. There you go. Cornbread in Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona with the cornbread. I like it. All right, buddy. Have a great Thank Thanksgiving. You. Yep. Check out my new podcast called the No Quarter Given Podcast, where myself and Peter Blake, we give a historical analysis of all the Buck opponents throughout the regular season. Week to week, every opponent that the Bucks will play this year, we will do a podcast on a historical overview of the rivalry between the Bucks and this week's opponent. So f- subscribe, rate, and review to the No Quarter Given Podcast on all your podcast platforms. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. You just heard a great spot with Matt Zimmick talking all things college football. We talked coaching searches, college football playoff, Oklahoma. Did, did, did Baylor run it up on Oklahoma over the weekend? All kind of great stuff. So thanks to Matt Zimmick for joining us once again. And without further ado, I'll bring back my man, Drew Felios. Drew's, Drew's my buddy down here in Tampa. Does a lot of work ESPN, does soccer, pickleball, basketball, college football. Welcome back to the podcast, Drew. Yeah, it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, now you're actually starting to acknowledge the pickleball thing. I remember I <laughs> told you about that. You laughed at it, and, you know, so did a lot of other people. But uh, it continues to grow, man. It's really been cool riding this wave. We are going to get to that, so just keep those thoughts. Keep those thoughts. All right, before we get started, it's almost Thanksgiving. What is Drew Felios in the Felios household? What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? My mother makes the best green bean casserole in the entire world. And I look forward to that every Thanksgiving. I make sure she makes it just the right amount of cheese, just the right amount of flakes on top, uh, just the right amount of gooiness, those green beans, uh, that taste, put it all together, man couple scoops of that i always go back for seconds <laughs> green, bean, green bean casserole is where it's at you know i've never been a big pumpkin guy when it comes to desserts jay yeah to me to me i'm all about mashed potatoes and, well I, i'm all about when it comes to dessert like 
chocolate, vanilla. Uh, Cherry know, cobbler. I, exactly. I, I grew up working at Village Inn, you know, French silk pies, <laughs> uh, chocolate cream, uh, banana cream. Uh, just anything cream is good. I'm not a big pumpkin pecan guy for dessert. But yeah, green bean casserole. And then give me a nice piece of French silk pie when it's all said and done. As far as the turkey, ah, you know, yeah. dark meat, a little gravy <laughs> on the side. We're, we're good to go. Tell George to push away from the dessert aisle, please. <laughs> tell him to get some laps in on Bayshore. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, man. He's not the only one, you know. I, I mean, I hope I don't have to shop for a new belt again this year. It's uh, oh boy, it's, it's been it's a, a very tough, tough weekend. Year. It's a tough it's weekend. Been a tough year. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy. All right. Before we get to the sports, you've been in Vegas recently. Tell the audience Las Vegas, Nevada, to give us a, the scene of Las Vegas when you were out there last week. Well, there's some new attractions. This new hotel in downtown Vegas, in old Vegas, it's called Circa. And Jay, let me tell you, my friend, you've never been. It is a must-see, must-do. The sports book is unbelievable. Stadium seating, massive, big HD screens, unlike anything that you've really ever seen. In Vegas, there's some amazing sports books in Vegas you know, Mandalay Bay and Bellagio and Wynn and whatnot. But this one at Circa is in a class all by itself. And then you've got the outdoor pool and that's stadium again in a pool. And you've got incredible screens there where you can go outside, watch games as the sun goes down, Monday night football, whatever you want to see. Look at some hotties, um, some hotties oh, out at the pool. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're not one to discriminate on this show, but if you're not a perfect 10, you probably can't be a waitress at Circa. I mean, it's unbelievable uh, what, oh, what they have going there. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, it, it's, it's just, it's really kind of transformed the scene. So you got Circa in downtown Vegas that's kind of changed the landscape. And then on the strip, a new uh, hotel called Resorts World. And that has all the hype around it right now as well. So Resorts World has... Of course, all the amenities, just amazing, right. incredible, you know, new hotel. You know, all that said, of course, Jay, the, the Raiders playing there. Stadium, the new added, stadium. Has added a new vibe. You see Raiders stuff everywhere now. So it's they've really got something to root for, the locals. That's good. That makes yeah. the sports scene better. And then T-Mobile Arena also, the Golden Knights. Yeah. I mean, they get behind their hockey team as well. Right now, I mean, I'll tell you what, man, I love Tampa Bay. I love my hometown. If I did not live in Tampa Bay, I'm going to Las Vegas, no wow. doubt, wow. because the sports scene there is on fire. What about talk about the weekend? Just the vibe of people coming, tourism hyped up because I know COVID is the tourism back where this is busy, busy, crowded, all that stuff, or is it still still gathering steam? Mask mandate is still in place inside hotels. Okay, they have to wear the mask if you sit down, if you're at a bar, or whatever. It loosens up. They'll let you take it off, take a yep. sip of your drink, have a conversation, whatever. But if you're walking around the casinos, you are required to still wear a mask. Other than that, though, things seem pretty back to normal. Uh, whenever I was leaving Vegas a couple of weeks ago, I was there doing a pickleball event. I got to the airport about an hour and a half before my flight was to take off. Yep. Jay, if I didn't have TSA pre-check, no I chance. would not have made my flight. No, no chance. chance. <laughs> the longest security line I've ever seen in my entire life. Wow. So people are going to Vegas again and they're enjoying the city. I encourage you to do the same, Jay. We've got to get you out there again, man. We were out there yeah. a couple of years ago. 
I know, brother. I know, brother. We're going to do that. I know you were out celebrating our boy Darren's 40th birthday. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Give yeah, my boy Darren, Darren a shout out. Darren, Darren Lozier, producer, Bay News 9. Uh, Tampa for the that, Tampa market. Yep. Guy that, guy that we're really pulling for has done great. So uh, happy, happy birthday, Darren. That's right. Big Darren. Number, big 4-0, baby. Big 4-0. All right. All right. Before we get to the NFL, Give me your state of Florida. You had, we had Florida State, Miami played a thriller last weekend. The Seminoles come from eight down in the waning moments to beat the Hurricanes. Just give me your general state of Florida, Florida State, Florida, and Miami football. Down years for all three programs. Couple factors go into this. Okay. Number one. And by the way, Drew is a Florida State graduate, so he's going to have a little more, you know, I'm, don't be a homer here. Give, give the truth here on the Powers on Sports podcast. Oh, without question, you know me. I mean, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell the truth all the time, but I don't think you – know, I'm a Florida football fan, meaning not University of Florida, but the state. whole state. I want to see the state do well. And I think a bunch of factors contributed to the three big state schools sort of falling off. One is the emergence of UCF, okay? Now, I still don't think overall UCF is on – Miami, Florida, or Florida State's level overall as a program when you factor in everything. Yeah. Okay. But you know that they, they've they've been able to get something rolling. Also, USF, even though they've struggled, it's still a major Division One school in the state. Throw in FIU, which right now probably shouldn't even have a program. Which Davis so just got issues. fired today. Yeah, just it's really bad there. Yep. And you know, one of my good friends, Jeff Carlson, his son's a quarterback down there. Yep. I hope yep. he enters the portal. I hope he enters the portal yesterday. I want him out of there <laughs> because, because I'd really like to see him succeed. And right yep. now that place is a black hole. Right. Uh, you've got FAU also, Jay. So, you know, you've got all this football being played. Factor in coaches that are coming and going. You know, you've got, you know, impatient fan bases and booster organizations. And, and you've got coaches, you know, Manny Diaz. Miami, how long is he going to be there? Willie Tiger went from Florida State to FAU. I mean, come on. And he was at USF before that. He's doing, he's done the triangle. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, you've got so many guys coming and going. Uh, it's, it's hard to establish stability. Remember back in the 90s, Spurrier was Florida football. Bowden was Florida, foot, Florida State yep. football. Yep. Uh, Dennis Erickson. Larry Cooper tenure. was there for a while. Exactly. You had coaches to depend on. You had assistant coaches that knew their recruiting base. Now, when you've got so much change, Jay, how can you establish any kind of continuity? And it's hurt the Sunshine State. Other coaches like the Sabins and the ones, you know, up north. That's right. Other guys have come to the state. Dabo Sweeney. And they've been able to capitalize on the inconsistency of Florida football. So that's why I think these teams are where they are. Now there's deeper issues. Miami, I've said it all along. This is 2021. You got to build a stadium somewhere close to upgrade campus. the facilities. The, campus, the, the facilities are just below, below par. Wake up, wake up. Okay. Manny Diaz is a native son there. Okay. You've gone through every option as head coach. If this guy can't get it done, who are you going to bring in? What are you going to do? Bring Butch Davis back now? Come Lane on. Kiffin. Bring Lane uh, Kiffin home, baby. I'm <laughs> telling you. But, but Jay, I've done games down there. I just, I just don't think you can sustain something over the long haul if you don't have a stadium close to campus. Right. It means a lot. And this is 2021. you got to make that happen. 
And, and bad news for Manny Diaz this future, Miami fired their AD today. So who had been there eight years and obviously hired Manny Diaz. So the writing's probably on the wall for Manny Diaz. Hey, I'll say this though. I went to school with Manny Diaz. We did. We both well. did. We both Absolutely. did. He was a writer at the FSBU, a newspaper yeah. for Florida State. Whenever I was getting involved in radio, we played yeah. basketball together almost every day. I know yeah. his father's a big shot in that Miami. city. Yep. He's, he's a native there. If anybody can blend in and can sell a new athletic director, it's Manny Diaz. I mean, I hope so, too. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. But bad loss on Saturday in Tallahassee. You had the lead late, and you let Florida State score twice in the last four minutes to beat you in a game you have to win. What are your thoughts, Mike Norvell? Very, very up and down two years. Is this guy capable of being at a big program? I really like him. I do. Do you? He's trying. I, I, I think he's got the right idea. I, you know, definitely. I, I think the whole quarterback issue is, is a big deal. You know, trying to find his guy this year back and forth. You know, but uh, how are you, I, I Florida, think, Florida State, and Miami? And you can't find an elite quarterback in this country. How? Back when we were there, the elite of the elite came to those three schools to play quarterback. Lots of reasons for that, Jay. All these high school coaches are running these wacky offenses. Now that has something to do with it as How well. How can we not get one of them? Yeah, it, Deshaun well, Watson. How do we not get a Deshaun Watson kind of guy in Tallahassee and Gainesville or Miami? I mean, I don't get it. As many players that are coming out of the state of Florida, we can't find a Dante Culpepper, a freaking you know who picked the name. I mean, come yeah. on. It's really been a head scratcher. That's the problem. And you're right. Haven't had a great quarterback in this state in a very long time. I mean, geez. I mean, God, that's the part that drives me crazy. How can you not find a quarterback in this day and age? Because you have to have one in college football, just like the NFL. If you don't have a quarterback, you ain't got a chance. Yeah, unfortunately, a quarterback that plays in the state, again, you're getting out recruited. And a lot of these coaches coming and going, you know, you don't have the yeah. consistency. And you can't follow a kid from the time he's a freshman to a time he graduates high school if you've got three coaches during that time at the college level flip-flopping and going all over the place that's been the problem I and guess. unfortunately these coaches have had to learn the hard way jay they've had to learn the hard way no you're right and, and the parody in college football is when ucf can almost be when when ucf can almost be a competitor of florida and florida state that's a problem for those other three schools because those other three schools ought to be at least one or two notches above the, that, the ucfs of the world all the time and i hate to say that but that's how you have to you have to – that has to be the goal. All right, one more yep. college football note. You're familiar with Lincoln, Nebraska, and the Nebraska fan base. Scott Frost just can't – I like what he's doing there. That's a guy that he is getting close. Your thoughts on the Nebraska program, you're, you're very familiar with that area. You've been sports director in Lincoln for many years. Your thoughts on the, the Nebraska program struggling to find its footing with Scott Frost. Now, that's a guy, I think. He's lucky to keep his job, but to, I'll say this to his defense. Playing hard. It is so much, so much harder to win in Lincoln than it is at UCF, okay? When in Lincoln, I'm telling you, man, I covered the high school market all the through the state team. of Nebraska. I went to, to so many camps during the summer. I looked at the talent around. In Jay, the state of Nebraska. You, in, that, in that entire state, you've maybe got about maybe a dozen to 20 guys that are elite players right. in the whole state. Right. Okay. So you just don't have the crop of guys. And I think Frost has had to adjust to that. And I think there's a little bit of Frost 
Scott is a very, um, you know, he believes in his way. He's had a lot of things instilled in him. Right. You know, Bill Walsh, Tony Dungy, he's had some great mentors along the way, but he he's he's very straightforward and it's good, but it can also be a detriment. When things kind of go off the rails, you got to be willing to listen and to change a little bit and to try some new things. And I think he's gotten a bit of an education on that in his time in Lincoln. I think it'll be for the better. I will say this guy wants to do it more than anybody else. I think he deserves another chance. It's he's a native son. He played there. Osborne loves him. They all want him to Trev yep. Alberts is now the AD there. Yep. It's yeah. unfortunate. You got to fire all these assistant coaches to, <laughs> to eventually get an opportunity. It's like, you know, you're sacrificing people, you know, it's Just almost like, job. you know, yeah, it's almost like, you know, Sopranos or, you know, <laughs> uh, what, you know, it's, Hey man, what's up? You're patting a guy on the back and then you're stabbing him. You know, no, it's, it's, uh, it, you know, that's just the business of college football, unfortunately. Uh, but Frost, Frost is a good guy. Um, I think he'll eventually get it done, Jay. I think he deserved another chance. But again, he's a very young head coach. He's still learning. And it's a tough place to recruit big time skilled athletes, especially. You can get the linemen there, the defensive linemen, but getting the skill guys to come to Lincoln, dead a winner in Lincoln is, is tough. Absolutely. Saw that firsthand. No, yeah, you you did. All right, let's let's go to our, our local Buccaneers. Your thoughts on the two game losing streak? Do you think it's a just it's just a bad couple of weeks, or do you think there's long term problems that are developing with the Buccaneers? Starting to develop some concern. Are you with Tampa Bay? No doubt. Every time I watch the Bucks, either two things are happening: a guy is being carted off the field. <laughs> Or, or a guy is jumping off sides. Yeah. Uh, one, one or the other. The or late hit. Not, Untimely late hit. Something. Something like that. And it's, it is concerning, I will say. It, you start to think about, okay, maybe it's just one of those years where we just can't get everything going at the same time. Now, there's plenty of time. Keep in mind, I think the extra week of football is going to help the Bucks late. It's going to give them an extra week to get healthy yep. uh, before the postseason. I think they're going to give everything they have late in the season, but it is concerning. No doubt. Uh, the defense has been the biggest letdown. I mean, when I'm sitting there watching them and I don't have any confidence in the second half that they're going to stop. Taylor, uh, Heineke. Taylor Heineke. <laughs> come on. I mean, come on. Yeah. We, we gotta, we gotta find a way there. And just too many, too many instances of that. You know, this is, this is a Super Bowl defense here. We've got to be able to get off the field on third down. We cannot let this guy pick us apart. I and uh, it's just been, it's un been unfortunate to watch, but you know, the good news is plenty still of have time. a lot of football left. Yep. The good two things. They have an easy schedule down the road. They only got two really hard games. They got Buffalo at home and they go to Indianapolis, but the rest of their schedule is very manageable. I just think they've got some complacency setting in a lot of older guys, veterans. They won last year. They brought everybody back. I think there's some complacency of they think they can just turn the switch whenever they want to. And you can't, you can't take that attitude throughout the whole year. Jay, I'm going to throw this in too. You, what I think is the most overrated thing and overly said thing when talking NFL is whenever experts like yourself say that the Bucks have an easy schedule the rest of the way. Listen, man, this is the NFL. True. Nobody, right. everybody shows up and plays their best against the Bucks. We've known True. that in the past. Okay. The Bucks go on the road, no matter where it is in the NFL, they're going to get the best shot of the opponent. Those are the games That's that true. scare me the most. I mean, the bears have knocked us off in the past. 
It happened with the Redskins this past week. I mean, it can happen with anybody, man. The Colts, I don't feel confident when we play like we did Sunday that we can you're beat right. anybody you're right. in the league. No, so you're right. I just don't think the road to the postseason is going to be easy. And I don't think, well, the schedule's easy. I just I, I don't get comfort right. in hearing that because to me, the Bucs have a history of playing down to their competition. No, you that you make some that's a great point. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Underdogs are killing it in, in the National Football League. The underdogs, if you're a player out there, lots of underdogs are hitting, a lot of covering the number, all that stuff. Out in Vegas, give me a was there any good stories of somebody going crazy at the sports book on a bad beat <laughs> while you were out there for the couple days? Oh man, I was out there in the middle of the week, so I didn't I didn't see anything going on. I tried to stay away from that, but yeah, <laughs> man, you're, you're, you're like you're like dangling, you know, the the forbidden fruit in front of my face. Uh, I've, I've actually taken a little bit of time away from that, okay. uh, but, uh, but I do hope to get back in here now towards the holidays as uh, <laughs> college football and NFL football starts up. No, uh, I think, I think, you know, the bucks, a lot of times I bet with my heart and not my head. Sometimes, That's yeah. the problem. But a lot of these lines with Tampa Bay, you know, bucks have not covered. Uh, yeah, they're so high. Kansas City, everybody loves Kansas City, the Cowboys, yeah, all the favorites, and Vegas loves when everybody bets on the favorites. Exactly. So that's been, I think, the big story of the year so far. All right, let's get to the Rowdies. And people don't know, Drew, Drew is the voice of the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the USL team down here in Tampa, one notch below MLS. Talk about your Rowdies. They're in, I'm wearing your Rowdy shirt for you tonight, brother. <laughs> Supporting like the Rowdies, give the audience a little, a little overview of the Rowdies, where they're at in the playoff run. Well, let me tell you, man, one thing I know about the Rowdies, too, last week at the game, I went down to the team store. Jay, I, I'll pick you up some paraphernalia, man. They have got some awesome gear. They do have there. some stuff. I'm... Hoodies, I mean, nice collared shirts. T-shirts, I mean, dry fit. I'm going to rate it this weekend, so I'm definitely going to pick up some goodies. So maybe I'll pick you something up, Jay, this weekend for having me on Powers on Sports. But uh, right now, man, it's um, this is the clutch time for this franchise. Okay, what happened, I think, a few years ago is our ownership. Whenever they took over the Rays ownership, Stu Sternberg, Matt Silverman, Brian, all these guys, I think, bought the franchise. I think, I think there was some communication with the Rowdies brass general manager Lee Cohen head coach, Neil Collins, guys, go win it. Yeah. Go, go win this thing. Prove that you can be a legit soccer franchise. And who knows what can happen after that in Tampa Bay. So we've gone out. This coach we have is just crazy good. He's built this team now over the last four years. And this year, I think we're legitimately the, the most talented team in the league. Now, can we win two more games? Semifinals. More, Semifinals this games. weekend. Semifinals. So this is the Eastern Conference final. We've got right. Louisville. We beat Louisville. They go by Louisville City. We beat them last year in this game at their place. Now they're coming to our place. Right. Uh, I think we're ready for them. I think the Rowdies can do it. It's going to be a ruckus crowd at Al Lang. Tampa Bay has got so many weapons. They've got the big guy up top, Steve Ando Santos, who should be playing this weekend. Seba Guanzati right next to him, one of the top goal scorers in the league. We're stacked in the midfield, Jay. We got guys who can distribute. This Jan Ekberg guy is outstanding. He uh, scored the game-winning goal uh, on Saturday night. 
Uh, we've got a back line that is, you know, MLS international caliber and force lasso leading the way. Jordan <laughs> Scarlett, another Aaron Guillen on the other side. And we've got a goalkeeper by the name of Evan Loro, who comes yep. from the New York Red Bull system, who has just been a wall this year. So all the pieces are there. And this is Tampa Bay Rowdy's moment. You know, I think when Jay, when the Lightning and the Bucks and the Rays were doing their thing, Rowdy's, you know, always kind of flying under the radar. But now this franchise is ready to step into the forefront to get on that big stage and show Tampa Bay they are a championship franchise. And if there is soccer fever here and and everybody can feel it throughout downtown St. Pete and beyond, who knows where the soccer brand, the Rowdies, the iconic name, who knows how far it can go in the future. Oh, it's a, it's a beautiful setting at Lang Stadium overlooking the water. I've been out there many times. I was out there earlier in the year. It's a great venue. Obviously, the weather's tremendous down here. Saturday, what, what, Saturday night, or they playing Saturday night? Saturday night, yep, prime time. You can go to um, rowdies.tam, just Google the Tampa Bay Rowdies. You can buy tickets. Again, it's a it's a very easy drive down to St. Pete, reasonable parking. You can find places to park. And you're right, the merchandise is excellent. They've done a great job pregame. Where can they can they stream the game anywhere online to hear you? Absolutely. ESPN Plus is where you can watch the game. Uh, there should be some tickets available. I know yeah. they're getting real close to a sellout now. Uh, you go to rowdiesoccer.com, the website where you buy tickets and uh again it's just a great setting if they win this week are they hosting the championship game jay if they win this week they are hosting the usl championship cup the following week so they're the number one seed in the entire league they did it by doing it in the regular season that's how good this team has played so this is it this weekend next weekend try and make one of those games hopefully they win this weekend because uh, the atmosphere of both nights is going to be off the charts. At least, if you can't make it in person, obviously stream Drew. Drew does an unbelievable job calling the games. Who's your your uh, Who's your partner? Neil Ryan Collins. No, his name is uh, Ryan Davis. Ryan Davis. Davis. And, uh, Ryan Davis from Trinidad. Uh, Ryan is is a hoot. He's great to listen to. Fans absolutely love him. Just listen in if you're at home. ESPN Plus. Uh, Saturday night, we're going to bring you the call. Yeah, you guys you guys do a tremendous job. A couple more things, we'll get you out of here. Major League Pickleball. Those of you that don't know Drew, again, Drew is one of the big voices of the pickleball tours around the country. Drew's been all over the country this, this fall covering pickleball tournaments from Las Vegas, Texas, wait, where else? California. You've been all over the place doing pickleball events. You were on CBS Sportsnet a couple weeks back. Un- great job on the call. You live pickleball out of Dallas, at the Dallas Austin area. Talk about Major League Pickleball. Unbelievable atmosphere. Last Monday night, a week ago, just outside of Austin, Texas, a place called Dreamland. Here we are, Jay, on CBS Sports Network in what felt like a little circus tent that could seat probably, I'd say, about upwards of 500 people. Not a seat in the house, though, packed to the rafters and people standing alongside, uh, packed in, watching the competition. Yep. It was team pickleball, came down to two teams, and back and forth it went, point after point. I've never been a part of something like that. I watched it. It was, it. It was great. It was great. It was on, Jay, it was live TV, CBS Sports, and now, um, from what we understand, a lot of the networks are starting to look and be like, whoa, because the atmosphere and the energy – was so on fire and these players the action stories it's it's constant action back and forth yeah and uh 
Jay, it's, it's, it's really the person next door. You know, you've got a, a, a basically a child, 14 years old, Annalie Waters, uh, dominating the, the women's scene and beating players that have had seasoned college careers and that have played tennis all over the world. This kid's 14 and she's taking it to him. And then on the men's side, you've got a 22 year old by the name of Ben Johns, right now the number one player in the world, a guy who mentally, I'm telling you, Tiger Woods and Tom Brady all rolled into one. That's what this guy is. He is ridiculous off the charts. And a lot of these tennis players, I think, are starting to come into the game, Jay. Yeah. It's athletic. It's fun. Um, it's good nature. The athletes are accessible. The people have a great time. This product, man, is shooting to the moon. I love it, Joe. I've been telling you, I've been playing for, for about the last six months. It's great exercise. It's great reflexes, hand-eye coordination, playing. I mean, I've been playing. I love it. And you're the one that got me into it, so i got to give you full credit. And, uh, you know, the girl, Lee Waters, her, she teams up with her mom, right? Her, her and her mother are the doubles team. That's right. Lee Waters is the mother. Anna Lee Waters is the daughter. 14. Now, I talked to, talk to the father, Jay, and he is actually – friends with i believe the former caddy of tiger woods okay and he spends a lot of time with the waters family and he told him your daughter is more locked in and focused than tiger was at her age wow. that's how good and talented this girl is so the name annalee waters you're going to be hearing it a lot and it's funny she's actually she loves the game of soccer but i think as time goes on she's going to realize pickleball is where it's at because what she's doing right now, Jay, she's knocking down six figures wow. uh, playing in pickleball tournaments all over the country. And Jay, she's just scratching the surface. I mean, it's going to, this thing is going to continue to blow up. The prize money is just going to get higher and higher and higher. And as soon as you guys get that big TV deal, that's when the sport's going to really explode when you're on TV every week and brother, you'll be the voice. You you do a hell of a job. You, I mean, again, I, I implore the audience, check it out. But what YouTube, there's YouTube live feeds and all these tournaments that you guys have. CBS Sportsnet's involved. You're going to see ESPN get involved here pretty soon or Fox Sports. One of these guys is going yeah. to sign a deal with one of these leagues. Well, well last week I was, I was supposed to be out there, Jay, in La Quinta, California. But unfortunately, I had the Rowdies and I had another event here in Daytona that I couldn't get out of. Uh, but basically, uh, Fox Sports 2 televised it. And our contract for the PPA in 2022 is going to be featured on Fox Sports 2. We'll also be on Tennis Channel as well. Yep. And as you said, CBS Sports Network will we'll be picking up events uh, from time to time. So we're locked in right now, Jay. Keep playing the game. And uh, maybe we can get you on the mic, Jay, for, for, for one of these events. I'm mm -hmm. telling you, it's a great experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of our good friends, Scott Golden, a guy that I've known for a long time, he does some broadcasting with you in some of these events. So yeah, I know you and Scott do some stuff together throughout the year. Last thing, and I'll get you out of here. Kevin Cash wins manager of the year for the Rays. Randy Arozarena, rookie of the year for the Rays. Just your thoughts on that whole organization. And I know you have some, you have some working relationships with the, with the Rays. I get it. But is Kevin Cash the man for this job to bring a World Series to Tampa Bay? I think he is. I think he is. Yeah. I mean, how can you not like Kevin Cash? You know, he's, he's everything that's right about baseball. He's a good guy. Uh, he, he loves the game. Uh, he doesn't have the ego. He's got a lot of Joe Madden qualities. And, you know, he's that guy, I think, who, who will stay for a long, long time. I don't see him saying, you know, that he, he, he wants to get out of here anytime soon. I think he's in for the long haul. Some of the big game decisions. Can we stop making every decision based on what the, the paper says? 
Can we make some decisions based on your baseball pedigree, Kevin? That's all yeah. I ask. Still, Jay, listen, I'm a I'm a big big game or big event, whatever you like to call it. Analytics, call come on, big game. please. I've called, I've sat courtside, field side, whatever you want to call it, to a lot of competitions in my life, a lot of them. Yeah. And one thing I know is that in the biggest moments, when you've got the best athletes in those moments, you put it in their hands and you let them decide the game. Yes. The Blake, the Blake Snell move yes. a year ago, I think was 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 not the right move. Uh, now others will disagree and say, well, that's not what got him there. But you have to understand the moment is different than it is in August during the regular season. But I think if 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 we can learn from those things, I think this guy, you know, you got to keep him in that chair, man. The stuff oh, he's done yeah. with the Rays has been incredible over the last few years. No, no, I'm nobody's saying to fire the guy, but come on, Kevin, when it's playoff time, you got to make some decisions based on what you see with your eyes, not what the not what the piece of paper says all the time. I get it in the middle of June in Kansas City on a Tuesday night. Go with what the piece of paper says. I get it. But when it, when, it, when it's crunch time, the Red Sox are, are up in the eighth inning. Don't go to the bullpen if your guy's mowing them down. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, I think it's interesting, man, seeing what's going to unfold in the coming years. I mean, this is another conversation, Jay, but the stadium issue with the Rays, uh, yeah. the Montreal talk, everything. That right now is the most interesting thing. I keep up on it. I, I, I read on it. And, uh, you know, we just we pray that our baseball team stays here and is in the best situation possible. And, and give the Rays full credit for the amount of money that they're that they're whatever, whatever the reasons are. And there are lots of different reasons of how much they spend and why they spend what they spend. But they get more out of their players, both in the farm system and at the major league level than any team in the league relative to their yep. payroll. Yeah. And, and that's right. a credit to Kevin Cash for developing those guys and keeping them keeping them fresh and not injured and all that stuff. So. I, I, and Jay, we, th we, we thought when Joe Madden left that he was a once in a lifetime guy, we'd never have another guy like that. And here yeah. we are, we have a guy who's probably better. Yeah. So, so for those reasons, Kevin cash, good job, my man. But just in those big games, maybe you're right. Put a piece of paper away and trust what you see. That's it. All right. We'll get you out of here. Tell everybody where they can find you online and all that good stuff. Drew Felios. All right, hey, uh, ESPNU Friday night. Uh, I'll be broadcasting from Disney uh, as Iona takes on Liberty. Rick Pitino coming to the Walt Disney World Resort. So uh, that'll be a great opportunity on Friday. Be sure and join me then. Um, and then Saturday night, ESPN Plus, Tampa Bay Rowdies, Louisville City going head-to-head. -head. So Friday, Saturday, ESPNU on Friday, Saturday night, ESPN Plus. And uh, you'll find me up and down on those channels and uh, also be doing a lot of basketball, Jay, in the late November and the months of December as well, coming at you. Lots of big high school showcases coming up. Awesome, man. Drew Fellas does great work. Great friend of mine. We've known this guy for 35 years from all the way back at Pat Acres in town and country, brother. <laughs> that, that jumper, that jumper's gone, though, I will say. That, that, that is gone. There, there, there's no more of that. I you can, can still go out there, bro. You can get out there and start shooting again. Come on. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe, <laughs> may, maybe one day. We'll see. Well, Drew, appreciate you joining us from the hotel in Daytona on short notice. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk real soon, my man. See you, bud. All right, we'll, we'll be right back to for the close of the Powers on Sports podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. 
And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.